Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our second episode of Piel de Miel. We're so excited to have you listening today. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, but before we get started, I'll hand it over to Diana for our land recognition. Yeah, welcome, everyone. So before we get into the meat of our podcast for today, uh, we want to honor and acknowledge that we are on the traditional territories um, and ancestral homelands of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, and Ute nations. We would also like to acknowledge that this area was used for um, the healing and the um, gathering of other Native nations, including the um, Lakota, Kiowa, Comanche, Apache, Shoshone, uh, Paiute, Zuni, Hopi, and many others. So we'd like to um, honor and and bring awareness, I think, that we are on um, occupied territory. And speaking of that, um, we'd also like to celebrate the Supreme Court decision to honor some part of the treaties, right, that were made with Native nations. And now the eastern part of Oklahoma is recognizes Native land. Alrighty. So, um, to get started, I think we just want to thank you all for listening um, to our podcast. I think me and Diana, when we started this, we weren't really expecting like the amount of listeners that we got um, and the amount of support that we've gotten with the podcast. So we just want to let you all know, thanks for listening and thank you for your support, for your comments, for everything. And yeah, Diana, I don't know what you have to say Yeah, th- I, I honestly, I think we were talking about this earlier and I was just so just like blown away, I think, by the number of people that were willing to spend an, about an hour of their time listening to our podcast, just listening to us speak. I think that um, just knowing that like we have valuable things to say and people think that we have valuable things mm-hmm. to say is very encouraging and it's very uplifting of the work that we're doing. I think it, it encourages me to feel like I have some knowledge, right? Like I have something to share and what we're we're sharing is is important enough that people are willing to share it too with others so thank you all uh, to those of you that were listening that uh shared it on twitter retweeted it put it on your instagram reached out gave some feedback celebrated yeah, people sent us messages to like um say congrats and stuff i think it's really nice to feel validated that our words are being heard which is something that in general in the world like the voices of mujeres are not heard especially non-white mujeres so Mm -hmm. it's really really awesome to have that validation from our listeners so thank you all for listening and continuing to support us we're glad you're all back yeah thank you all hopefully you stick around keep listening to (laughs) to what we have to say yes all right so We can get right into it. I think we're all thinking about back to school. Um, It's July and we have about a month left before school starts, before our second year of teaching. And I don't know about you, Esmeralda, but I feel extremely uncertain about what's going on. I was just on the phone with my sister who lives in um, Colorado Springs. And I was just like, I don't really know. Like she asked me for an update. I was like, I don't really have an update for you, but this is what I know so far. So we got an email from 
Denver Public Schools District Superintendent this morning, and we've been getting a couple of updates, right? Yep. Yeah, and basically the update gave us some outlines of what they're thinking of as yeah. far as what school might look like in August. Yeah, so and even... Gonna, yeah, if you want to yeah, talk... Yeah. And even before the update that we got today, um, we had gotten an update a couple weeks ago, which was also kind of like added to like our uncertainty about going back to school and stuff. So the update that we got a couple weeks ago, I can't even remember when. I feel like time has just like, I don't even keep track of time anymore with like so much to worry about with not just like school, but everything that happened between like March and July. I feel like it's so much and like, I don't even remember what has happened, but anyways. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I feel the same. I like just finishing, first of all, the like end of the school year, right? Like just, the first year of teaching is supposed to be this monumental year and what a monumental year it was. <laughs> um, for like for both of us, our student teaching happened during the teacher strike mm -hmm. back in, when was it? 2019, February, February yep. of last year of 2019. Mm -hmm. And so that was an, an uncommon, very unique set of circumstances. And I feel like I learned a lot. I think you would also Right. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it was, oh, yeah. it was a time where we were exposed to the what it means to be a part of the union, what it means to be in solidarity with other educators, what it means to work for for our students and push for our students what's best for them as as well as what's best for us. And then our first year of teaching too. How how does it end? Not really seeing my students. Right. Like it's so hard when you work a whole year struggle and push through some days where you really don't want to be there. I had several days where there was one day where I was just like, I like, what am I doing? And just pushing through and reminding ourselves of like the why we're in teaching and what I'm gaining from students too kept me going as well as my coworkers encouraging me and asking me how I'm doing, giving me advice but then not being able to finish the school year off with my students and seeing that full year of growth in both of us. Oh, I think that really, really like mess with my, oh, yeah. my, my just feeling yeah. like, like there was a complete like revolution. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I felt like robbed of like a learning experience because as my first year, I felt like I kind of felt like in March, I was barely like, I got this, like, I haven't been struggling for like yes. a week. <laughs> like I got this. I was ready, you know. I was like, I'm like, I have like a, like some good skills that I want to like set into place. Like I want I want to do this and this with my students. Like I felt like I was on a roll, and then they were like, "Whoops, nope." Like we're going to remote learning, which at the time I think felt like I felt fine about it because I was like, you know what, we'll be safe. Like because this virus thing is pretty serious I was like we'll be safe like it'll be fine but then when I sat down and actually thought about it I was like I, I barely even feel trained to, to like teach my students like in person like I don't know how I'm going to teach them remotely so that was some really tough like a tough experience in general to go through I think for me and like how you're saying like having like I I, part of the reason that I like teaching is because I am able to have relationships with my students, like in person like that. 
connection I'm able to make with my students in real life is so, so, so crucial to the work that we do. And I think like most teachers will say this, that being cut off from seeing them was so, so, so hard for me. I felt like there, like there was no sense of closure. Like when you, like when you said, like when May came and school ended, I was like, I felt weird. Like I felt like my first year of teaching didn't even end. I was like, what? Yeah. It, it felt like it hadn't really ended to mm-hmm. like, okay, well, when are we going to have the next uh, staff meeting, right? Like that was almost like the only consistent thing mm-hmm. in my like week because yeah. I, and understandably students would, I think for my classes, kind of stop showing up to my office hours. And, mm-hmm. and I say understandably because we're living during a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the the fact that I wasn't able to continue to build the French, the friendships or see, I mean, see friendships continue to build and build the relationships that I had been working on with my students. I think that really, really hurt me because that, like you said, for me, that is the most important part of teaching, really building those relationships with students and then using those to see them grow. So it, it was definitely really hard. And for me, it was not as hard to switch to remote remote learning logistically uh, because our school was already a one-to-one school. So one-to-one meaning each student had their own Chromebook, the Chromebook that they could take home and they would return oh it. Don't even get me started with Chromebooks because they make me so <laughs> mad because we're not a one-to-one. <laughs> we don't even have, like, we... I whatever it's a separate conversation but Chromebooks get me heated because we don't have Chromebooks in our school it's so annoying (laughs) but yeah fast forward to a couple weeks ago um and receiving news that like the district said we're going back to in-person learning I don't know how do you how did you feel Diana like when they told you that like when you got that email and you were like you read and it was like hey we're going back to the in-person learning in August. How did you feel? Yeah, well, I think I was very nervous. And and when we first went to remote learning in March, I wasn't as worried. Like, I, I, I saw it coming. Um, I thought that the pandemic would end sometime soon because it's something that's happen, happening worldwide. And we just, I, like, I just assumed people would take all the precautions, um, people would stay at home. I mean, the fact that schools were sending students home, to me, it seemed like that would be reason enough to not go to parties, uh, (laughs) not go to dinner with in large groups of people, restaurants were closing. So seeing those things, I think seeing people kind of start to disregard the importance of the of maintaining social distance and um, staying in quarantine, not going out unless you absolutely absolutely need to go to like the grocery store or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think seeing that lack of responsibility, especially with people that I know, like that oh, yeah. I went to college oh, with that, that. that are in my family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that made me react differently once we got the news that we would be going back in person. And the the fact that it said 100% back in person with the option of online learning. Yeah, we have the option, but I mean... The, Is it really an option? Yeah, exactly. Like, the expectation seems like we're 
going back to normal, except it's not really normal because we're all going to be wearing masks, going to have to um, take our temperatures, having to teach and learn, worried that the people around us are going to get us sick and that we're going to get our family sick. Or I think the concern or the fear, once it does affect you, just spirals out of control. And I think that it doesn't seem like a lot of people were invited to the table when this decision was made. I don't know. That's how, that's how I felt. I think just extremely concerned. How were you feeling? I felt kind of similar to you. I mean, pretty similar to you um, with what you're talking about. I also like back in March, I remember telling like my family and like my friends and stuff. I was like, I'm sure like by June, it's going to end. Like it's going to end. And I don't even have to worry about next year. Like it's going to end. And then as the months like kept going and going and like seeing that it's just getting worse and still is getting worse. I think like I was really scared and really like my mind kind of went blank when I read that. I was like, I didn't, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, um, I just like, yeah, my mind went blank. I was like feeling nervous, feeling scared, feeling like, I wasn't prepared definitely because like we were talking about earlier like I felt like I missed out on a lot of practice time uh being in the classroom as our year got cut off um and then going back now I feel kind of like even more unprepared with like how you're saying having to teach and having to wear a mask and having to worry about like are my middle schoolers going to stay in their seat for the like for the fact that I don't want them to get infected and I'm the type of teacher that doesn't even even believe like in controlling students and making them sit all day I I don't believe in that so I let like I embrace my students getting up and wandering around and like stuff like that and thinking about going back with my middle schoolers has me worried like I was like they would see they can't like stay in their seat which is fine but now it's something like to worry about now it's like for their safety like are they going to be able to get up are they going to be able to breathe properly are they going to be able to do this and that how am I going to be able to teach like teaching for me like I rely a lot on walking and not just sitting or standing up there you know lecturing like I I don't do that I rely on doing a lot of hands-on things a lot of group work like a lot that with this pandemic I don't know how it's going to be possible to do plus on top of that being worried about getting sick and like not having like money like what if I get sick and I don't have enough money to cover like my hospital bills or like what if I get sick and my whole family gets sick like when my boyfriend gets sick like what are they going to do like some of my family members and like my other friends like don't even have insurance like what the heck is gonna happen there you know like that worried me so so much so and it still is like even talking about it right now it's like it's kind of it's kind of hard to talk about it because I'm just feeling so uncertain like I keep thinking every day honestly like when am I gonna die if we go back like like what's gonna happen to me honestly so yeah receiving that news was really really rough for me yeah and I think that last point that you made the, the sad reality is that a lot of teachers are feeling like 
okay, I have to come up with my will. I have to make a will right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I saw that. When I saw that, like, someone tweeted that, I was like, what the heck? Yeah, I can't imagine. I'm 24 years old having to, to think about that. I And my parents are also worried, right? They care a lot about staying healthy and they're older so they they haven't really gone out anywhere and they live in the springs and unfortunately the springs um for those of you who might have ventured down there is a lot more um it's just a lot more conservative than than like denver and so there's very few people who are actually wearing masks i've gone to visit my parents maybe twice this summer or since we've been in quarantine um, just to check up on them, just to like see them. And I've gone to the store to run errands for them and almost nobody has a mask on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like people are really taking it seriously. And so I think that's also something else to consider that we do need to acknowledge that we might live in little bubbles or the people that are around us might be committed, but not everybody is. And so we need to to take into consideration um, or take precaution, take precaution because not everybody might might be able to to take it as seriously or might not understand why it's it's such a a serious issue when um, folks who who work as teachers or who work in offices have to or who work in a fast food restaurant have to take have to make a will. Right. These jobs should not be life threatening. I didn't sign up to to be a hazard employee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks a lot to to who we value in society, right? Who exactly. who are who are the valuable people and who are, who are the people we can get rid of and who are the people that are going to like survive this? And I think it's kind of like it's not it comes to no surprise that children are never prioritized that DPS being like the large percentage of brown and black kids, like the irresponsibility of a district to deem like these bodies as like not valuable, right? They don't have value like, and, and teachers too, right? Like we're, we're also like a category that is like extremely undervalued. Just disposable, right? Yeah, we're just, we're so disposable. Our bodies are so disposable. Um, and especially like like I'm saying, like Denver is majority um I mean DPS is majority we teach brown black kids, right? So thinking about that, um, like white upper class kids are going to be able to afford to stay home. They're not gonna have to worry about like who's taking care of them at home. They could probably like hire tutors to teach them. They could probably hire a teacher to teach them, right? But what about the students that can't afford that? What about the teachers who can't afford to lose their job, who can't afford to die? What about what about that, right? Like, it speaks volumes to how capitalism is involved in education and in our bodies being disposable and we could be re- replaced, right? I, I almost feel like um, a lot of districts, and I mean, even like the government with what has been going on in the news about cutting funding is like, schools don't go back um i it speaks volumes to the idea that art like let's let's see like it almost feels like it's an experiment like let's see who dies first and then we'll see what how we go with that like 
whoever dies and then like we'll see if he calls back or like what what will happen you know like it'll be okay like maybe a couple people will die and it's like what the heck like when is, did that ever become okay yeah and i think i think um there's a term for it, and i can't think of the term right now i think it's something like calculated risk right like this risk that um the country is willing to make the government is really willing to make the school district is willing to make where yeah like children maybe are not as affected but they're still affected so then we're willing to to put lives of brown and black kids in danger we're willing to go to school until someone gets sick we're willing to send teachers to work and push them to work under conditions that are not safe until one of them dies right so like the risk that we're we're willing to take really speaks volumes to what we are valuing as as a society right we are valuing monetary profit over human lives and i mean i'm not i'm not really wanting to go back to to teach in person just for the sake of the economy i'm not yeah, a baby no. right? like mm -hmm. and i think that and and i and i bring that up because i think that that really bothers me i think there's a lot of folks that see teaching as as um, like childcare, and and like in a lot of ways it is, right? Yeah, that's how society has made it seem. Yeah, that's course, how yeah. formed it to see to be. Yeah, so I I'm extremely frustrated. I I think that we need to really hone in on what is important to us and what we're being asked to do and why. Yeah. What are, what are I, the, your motives here? And that's not to say, because I've been thinking about that a lot. And I'm like, am I being selfish? Like, am I being selfish? Like, truly, by not wanting to go in and, like, risk my life for my students. And that's not just, like, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm like, I completely understand the other side of, like, I grew up in a low-income family, like, where, like, my parents had to work. And there, like, there wasn't ever, like, money or, like, a thought to, like, for childcare, you know? Like, we, we had to stay at home. And I, I empathize a lot with those parents that are probably in that situation that are, like, well, what am I going to do with my kid, right? Like, my kid cannot stay home all day. Like I, I, like, I need my kid to be somewhere safe, right? Because I think a lot of parents see school as safety. Um, and and but, like, like, the, school, the school provides so much to students. We do provide a lot of um, many social services, right? There are students that receive mental health services through the school, that receive support that's needed from their peers or from teachers. The fact is that there are a lot of families like, like your family, um, like my parents too. My parents don't speak English. My mm -hmm. My parents like would never go to parent-teacher conferences, not because they didn't yeah. care about my education, but because they didn't understand, right? So like there are these barriers that exist. And right now, parents do need to go to work. Families do need to work to make money. But then we also need to look at, well, why is the government pushing people to continue to work? Yeah. Why isn't it that we can provide support for families, right? So that people don't have to risk their life at all no yeah exactly and that gets at what's fundamentally wrong 
with how we see education and it's systematic, right? It's why don't these kids have access to all these other resources outside of school? Why are we giving so much money to police officers when we could be funding like all these resources so school wouldn't be solely the only need, the only resource for students to to feel safe, right? Like it's well, systematic. It's, yeah, and it's a system that was designed to be that way so that folks are not receiving the support that they need. They're not receiving the resources that they need. So then when they leave school, if they get those services from school at all, then they're not like, it's just so difficult to get any kind of support from like the government or from um, like insurance companies. And so it's met, it's set up that way so that we can feed people into the prison industrial complex so that we can feed people to work for these massive corporations for very, very low wages. So you can keep disposing these people and the cycle goes over and over again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's important to like say, I understand and I think we all understand that remote learning is not better than learning in person. Like, I think we all know that. It is very difficult. I had a very difficult time. And, and coming from a school that was already one-to-one, where students, my students already knew how to use Schoology, right, the, the platform that we were using to submit assignments, to communicate with them. They already knew how to use Google Slides and Google Docs. They knew how to use that because we had been using it all year, but it was still very, very hard. And like, in no way, I think, are we saying that it's better to learn remotely, but right now it is safer. So we have to, to look at what's at stake and it's, it's people's lives. It is, it is, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think we're gonna take a little break. All right, welcome back. We just took a much needed little break from some very heavy topics. And I think coming back, we we want to talk about school and, and going back to school because I mean, we will go back to school either remotely or in person. So I'd really like to know what are some of the things that you're planning to do with your students or maybe that you wanted to do with them and can't really do with them um, given the circumstances. What are, what are yeah. you thinking, Esmeralda? Yeah, so I think I've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, and I think today, too, I was kind of, like, thrown into this limbo and, like, this state of uncertainty when we got another update. And they were like, um, maybe we won't go back to school. <laughs> so yes, we got could, another update. Like, wait, we're going to send you this update today, but we'll send you one again <laughs> in like five days just hold mm-hmm. tight and it's like well I, like we're getting really close yeah. i would like to know and it, yeah. and it is ahead of it is some time ahead but i think the uncertainty is a little much yeah and like that reading the email today that said 
um, we're going to delay school a week. Mm -hmm. And we also have another update coming next week, early next week, to let you all know um, what we're actually going to do. Like, if we're going to stagger, like, when we go back to um, school and person learning. Um, so, yeah, that kind of threw me into, a, like, a lot of uncertainty in deciding what I'm going to do. So yeah, thinking about what what going to back to school means for me means a lot right now, and it also means nothing personally for me because I kind of feel like I don't want to teach my kids when we're kind of in a state of emergency, and it's gonna be weird being in the classroom and wearing a mask and having so many restrictions that for me, I feel like I don't even know if I wanna teach them like, let's learn about theme, right? When that yeah. doesn't seem to be like the conversation we should be having. So yeah. I've been trying to think of ways to like, how can I do my literature work, my English work while staying true to validating my students' feelings um, and I don't even know what that means right now. I don't even know if that means like actually teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching while I know that so many of my students, that's not going to be what, what the priority is. So I think going back to school right now for me is, it's hard to think of what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's really hard. I think something though that I I think about and and I think this might be a big difference between teaching English especially in middle school we're teaching a lot of the fundamental elements of literature analysis of like grammar and and just English in general mm -hmm. um and teaching social studies in high school where I feel like like we're all always living in a crisis right we've we've been in crisis for the last 500 years. Um, and so our students and in our communities, we're used to living in circum under circumstances where we're just trying to survive. Even if we're not like consciously thinking about it, our, our existence is really striving for just survival. And, and oftentimes school really reinforces that. It like really beats that down onto us that I just need to make it. I just need to to like grind through and, and get out of here. And I think for me, something that I really wanna work on with my students is, is bringing in a lot more of what we're going through and, and like talking to some of the other um, social studies teachers earlier in the summer, we had talked about definitely wanting to talk about the pandemic and wanting to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. And recently, our school, uh, my school community, as well as yours, I, I think, right, um, experienced loss and, and losing um, a student. And so I know for a fact that that's also something that we're going to have to to um, grow and and work on as a, as a school community. And that's not something that I've ever experienced. I think when I was in high school, we lost a classmate, but like, I think being on the other end really shows how important it is for, for
for the adults to make just space for that and to allow students to express themselves and, and grieve and, and grow. Um, so I definitely, I definitely want to bring in a lot of what's been going on, the inter, the, like, just the overlap of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the pandemic happening, white fragility, entitlement, um, <laughs> capitalism. And I think that's something that I do think is appropriate under the circumstances. Whereas like, I don't think it's necessarily important for me to lecture at them, right? Like, and, and I don't, I don't like to like, like I don't lecture. That is extremely uncomfortable for me. I didn't like it in college. I didn't like it in high school. I don't like to do it now. I don't even like to hear my voice too much. So this podcast is probably the most that I ever talk. Um, but yeah, and, and I think also like in, in some of the things that I did want to do, I did want to have a lot more hands-on activities that were more, I guess, structured than, than some of the activities that I had in the past. And that just won't really be able to happen, especially in um, classes like, like my geography classes. We would blow up these giant globes and like I won't be able to do anything like that and just little little things like that that won't be able to happen. And I think that's what's so hard with also teaching under a pandemic while trying to teach for social justice oh, is yeah. that it's not like it's not just us standing up there and lecturing like you said it's us using other methods other pedagogies that don't adhere to like whatever the education system has upholded is right and that's like how do you do that under a pandemic how that's it's just so, like you, it was hard enough under regular normal quote-unquote circumstances and now that we're under a pandemic it's like it's a lot it's not work that I'm not willing to do but it's just work that might just not be possible because I can't move like you said around my classroom I can't blow globes up you know I can't do the things like I can't practice that pedagogy that I want to practice and it's having to be creative like whether it be whether we end up going like remote or in person there's a lot of creativity I think that is stripped away by those methods of teaching that was hard enough already in March to do for a couple months and now it's like you're you're gonna meet a new set of students and you have to make a connection with them because that's really important to me and you're not you might not be able to in the same ways that you were able to so that makes it really hard for me yeah and it, it is like you said just having to reimagine building relationships with students because i think most teachers would agree that is the most important thing to focus on especially at the beginning of the year um i know all the teachers that i co-planned with this last year we took at least a week and a half to do activities related to our content, yes, but also mainly focused on building relationship with our students. And like, how am, how are we going to do that? It's really going to take a lot of work, I think, working with other folks in our building and 
leaning on our experiences. And I think that's something that I wish we had maybe dedicated more time this summer to doing is providing more resources on how to go back remotely. Like I wish the district had made that decision earlier on so that we could have set up ways or set up time to reimagine what the beginning of the school year could look like. Yeah, and and when you're talking about this, it makes me think a lot about even if the district have, had provided that time we needed, I know my time under the pandemic has been a really hard time. And maybe my mind hasn't been like clear enough or the best to even do that kind of work, which is really hard to write, like trying to just like you're saying, like survive under the circumstances and also have this other burden on top of that of being able to be the very best for your students. And I know this is something I struggled with back in March and April and May is how, how like, how do I take care of myself under all this stress? And how, and how do I let my students take care of themselves? And how do I support my students? And how do I teach my students right now? That was really hard for me back then. And it, I think it's still, I can, like, it's still hard right now to think about how that's going to be. Um, I don't know if you experienced something like that too. Like, I don't know, like going back to the pandemic, like how, how was it for you, like, being aware and being conscious and trying to like stay alive during a pandemic while like also caring for your students. Yeah, it was, I think I had a, a difficult time as well. And I know we've talked about this before, this um, feeling of a feeling like an imposter. Um, and I think imposter syndrome, feeling like I don't belong, like I'm not good at what I'm supposedly doing, just teaching. I think that hit really hard during remote learning, um, during the start of the pandemic here in the US. And and I struggled with it a lot, like not knowing how my students were doing, not being able to see them, not being able to do, like for me, the thing that I'm able to do really well that I feel really confident about is building relationships with students and connecting with them. So not being able to see them and talk to them daily or even like once a week, because a lot of them couldn't log in. They had jobs, they had other responsibilities. So not hearing from them, that really hit hard because this is the one thing that that really uplifted me, made me feel like I was doing the right thing, like I was in the right field. Um, and not like, not in the way that I'm helping my students, but like we're learning from each other. And so not having that connection with them, I think that really just made me feel like pretty crummy just a, just about the, the whole situation, but especially about belonging in the classroom. Yeah. I even like, it happened, I don't know if this happened to you, but I even missed like all the things I didn't like. <laughs> Oh about, my god, like, me too. I was, stuff. Oh, like that one kid and like Yeah, oh, yeah. You it know me, like it made me reflect a lot about like like who I missed and like like this like behaviors that I missed and like little things that I didn't realize at the moment could be like taken away from me, right? I know it's like so cliche to be like you don't know like 
what you have until you lose it but I like felt like that I was like I lost my students like even their like little jokes and stuff and me having to like be like stop saying that stuff or like it's not time to joke around I was like (laughs) I want to be able to say that again like I was like I can't even like yeah I can't even pretend to not laugh at the joke they just made because I'm trying to teach I was like I want that back like (laughs) I don't know if you. I don't know if you remember when we were doing our um, like our field experience at Casey Middle School in Boulder. Uh-huh. Um, I just remember the teacher that we were with, just <laughs> like so like um, like Mexican mom, right? Like oh yeah, like all right, like right now is not the time, but like <laughs> like joking and like like such a like loving way. Like I mm-hmm. felt like that was almost like my teaching style and, and yeah. like I miss like rega- like regañando a los estudiantes like I miss like correcting them and like and not like in a mean way but like a like you know better like okay yeah. like what are you talking about what you're exaggerating what yeah. <laughs> like when they would tell me about like going out to lunch and like just weird questions that they would ask like mm-hmm. I miss that I miss those off-topic questions I miss like them telling me jokes or joking with each other and me having to like tell them to like stop for right now <laughs> just like I miss it all and and mm-hmm. it's gonna be very hard to like teach a whole new group of students especially like ninth graders ninth graders are going to be brand new to the building brand new to to high school and then having to possibly do learning online or like uh having to do school with plastic shields on their desks and having to wash their hands all the time worry about getting other people sick like that's that's so much like me i like i told you i think in the last um, episode that we did like I get so nervous about things that are new and if I was in eighth grade right now going into ninth grade um like to a new br- to a brand new school I would be like just getting anxiety every single day and like mm-hmm. I feel so so much for our students that are having to deal with all of this right now and I'm scared too thinking about however it is we go back to school I'm scared to not build a relationship with my students I'm so so scared to lose that because we have to be remote or because we have to have restrictions in person I'm so scared because that's probably one of the only things I care about in teaching is being able to make a connection with my students and being able to know that they feel validated and that they're themselves like just being able to have conversations with my students like I'm scared of losing out on that and just not being able to do that like that that sucks to think about like how am I going to connect with my students am I going to connect with them and if I can't connect with them the first couple weeks Am I going to be able to connect with them after when I see them in person? Am I ever going to see them in person? I mean, that's that's so scary to me. Yeah, I I agree. I 
and I feel for, I think one of the plans that the district has right now is um, that students can go back to school in person and other students can opt in for remote learning. And so I feel for the teachers that are doing the remote learning in the case that we do have to go back in person. Because from what it sounds like, um, it's basically gonna be like a pool of students from all over DPS and a pool of teachers from all over DPS that are gonna be teaching students that are not like in their homeschool, right? So who knows? Yeah, so who knows what that, that's gonna look I didn't look even know that, what? Yeah, that's, that's from what I understand and I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, that would make sense for the district to do. That would make a lot of sense because I think you mentioned like some percentages with me earlier about um, percent yes. of like teachers and I don't know if you wanna share those. Um, yeah, so from the DCTA, um, town hall, which happened earlier today, um, the day that we're recording, they shared 26% of students have requested online learning, while only 6% of teachers have. And so I'm not sure, right, how are we going to, to balance these numbers? And are these numbers going to grow? Like, my, my suspicion is that they will grow, that more students are going to opt in for remote learning, more parents are going to hopefully see that conditions are not safe to go back to school, especially if you're working in a school where it's very difficult, which actually it's every school, very difficult to have few students in one class. So yeah, I, those numbers scare me. They make me very nervous. I think the, the workload doesn't seem to be balanced and yeah, I don't know. Are we going to have to teach to be in person during the day and then online after school? Um, or what about, I also, I'm also thinking about like some of the, some of the information that the district has sent out of their plans are to have cohorts. So to have students limited, limiting the, their exposure to other people, to other students in the building. But part of what the district outlined is that in middle schools and high schools, part of having students in, in smaller cohorts um, would be limiting the number of classes they have per day. So having only four classes a day, which I'm not sure how the schedule is gonna work. Um, does that mean that they're gonna take less classes? How does that affect graduation requirements? What if one of the teachers that is not able to come into school because they're immunocompromised or um, they have family members who are immunocompromised at home. What if those teachers are the only one in their building teaching like US history or um, an elective or like whatever class and they can't find a replacement for them, right? So I think these are things that are coming up and people are asking questions about, but we're not getting answers on. No, the logistics seems so shady to me, like so yes. unplanned, so superficial, and so not, not well at thought out at all, at all. No. And, and like just because I've seen um, districts has posted a lot of like the plans that they have, right? Like you're saying, um, and a lot of people have like already been critiquing a lot of the logistics yeah in terms of who's going to be prioritized in those logistics um in terms of 
are we going to get a lunch? Are like, what kind of students are going to be allowed on the bus? Because only a certain amount of buses are going to be available. And there's no answers for that, like you said. Oh my gosh. A lot of stuff. The buses, too. Oh my goodness. I just saw this the other day that RTD, someone posted online that RTD is only allowing, I think, around 15 people per bus. So. What if our students, like I know the school that I work at, we have students coming in from all over Denver. And many of my students have to take two buses or they have to take the light rail in a bus. So what happens then? How are we expecting them to have to make this massive journey that they make every day on a regular day during a pandemic when the bus might just drive by them three times because they're already full? Or the bus let them on and then they're exposing themselves to getting exactly, sick. Exactly, exactly. And not just dealing with RTD, but also in general with students who rely on like our bus transportation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've been reading like a lot of the documents because people have been posting about it. The documents that state like how it's going like to logistically work for students to get on a bus, right? Um, and a lot of what I've noticed is like like we're going to be prioritizing certain students and the rest of the students who rely on transportation or who rely on so many other things how are they going to get to school like they're they're not they're not they're just not going to get to school because i also read i mean the same thing with the buses um that parents have to stay with your like your child when dropping them off at the bus so to make sure that you're like the student can get on the bus and be like healthy enough to get on the bus if not they, the parent has to pay them back what if like you're one of those kids that you're like your parent or your guardian doesn't take you to the bus stop what do you do then well then are you just not gonna go to school what if yeah that's like, just- like you're saying there's so many oh it frustrates me so much like i said it's not well thought out it's it just kind of seems to me like they threw something together and they're like, we're going to make it work. We'll see what happens. Like we're just going to hope that things are going to work out. And if yeah. not, we'll revisit it. But, I mean, there's really no room for error here. We can't just expect parents and, and students to be able to do all these, especially when we're talking about younger students. I know a lot of people that had to take the bus when they were, like, in – fourth grade or second grade and they had to walk by themselves to the bus I had to take the bus all throughout high school and it was trust me it was packed you would have like you know how in elementary school you can fit two people just perfectly in the rows high school you can fit two people very tightly we were fitting three people Mm -hmm. so like how and and that was in the springs where it's a lot smaller my high school is a lot smaller than the school that I work at now so how are we how are we going to do that knowing that so many of our students rely on transportation Mm -hmm. through RTD or um, like the district school bus um, that a lot of parents have to go to work early a lot of them can't take the time off because our economy is demanding so much of them right because we see them as expendable so really what message is the district sending when it's making these decisions what message is it sending 
about what it thinks about our families of color. Yeah, and that's just one part of like the whole school day, yeah. <laughs> just getting there, just getting there is one part of it. So yeah, and like thinking a lot about this too makes me think a lot about like our budget and oh, how stressful that was too um, because of our budget being cut because of COVID and um, I don't know, like kind of thinking about like pay and budget and the teacher strike last year and like what teachers fought for. What do you like, what are your thoughts about like pay and like the COVID budget? <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts. It's very frustrating. I think, I think most of this podcast has just been us talking about things that are incredibly frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, here's another thing. So I think that the district spent so much money getting laptops for all students. And so it doesn't make sense to me for us to have spent so much money getting this technology and not use it, especially if all signs point to us needing to use it. And then asking teachers or wanting to work with teachers to have pay freezes, um, not in, give us the, the full raise that we need. I think it's just, it's almost demeaning, right? Like it's, it's disrespectful, I think. And, and like in our, in our school, we, in the, in the social studies department in our school, we were trying to get world history back into the curriculum. So currently we don't have world history and apparently this, the school district is trying to move away from teaching world history, which is kind of interesting because we weren't going to add the class because we needed textbooks. So then the budget is affecting the the quality of education that our students are getting. So we, we don't have money for textbooks for world history. Okay, we won't have world history this year. We have the textbooks for US history. We have the curriculum for US history, which like, honestly, I don't really even use the textbook for US history. I'm not a big fan of textbooks. Um, I think that's how you get into teaching um, history that's not really representative. The wrong side of yeah, history. Yeah, the wrong side of history, a very limited, yeah. Limited um, telling of history, right? We're not really giving um, people of color, indigenous people, black people, the room um, to tell history. There are many black historians that we should be centering. There are many indigenous historians that we should be centering. And by using the textbook or solely relying on the textbook, we're not really doing that. So there are things that we really, really need that we're just not able to have because of the budget, but isn't, but isn't the budget the supposed admin to can't students? take pay cuts? And, yeah, and we refuse admin. to let go of people who are in central admin that we clearly do not need, that That's are so being money. overpaid. That makes so much money. Like, I'm sorry, but no, I don't need you. I think, uh, right, like, I don't need you to make so, so much more than, than the people who are yeah. 
on the front lines actually teaching the students. And that's when the like school becomes a much more of a business where it's clear to see that schools are businesses and they're in it to make money. Yeah. And the people that work in central admin seem like they're more interested in making money. Mm -hmm. That yeah. might be a little salty. I don't know. No, no, I feel the same. I like, <laughs> because it, it just seems so unnecessary to me that it, like you're saying, like teachers always have to take the burden. And it's not just like, let's not even make it about like, like us, right? Let's not even make it about our decre decrease in pay. Let's make it about our students who at the end of the day are going to be the ones receiving the lower quality of education because we couldn't afford something or the lower quality of education because your teacher can't afford to pay rent or so can't afford to, find to another pay job. Anything. Exactly, right? So it all ends up coming back to teachers who are directly in connection to our students and then who's being greatly affected in the end it's our students and it's i think students. also like to add on to that it also affects other folks that work in the building it, it affects the the folks who run the school in the front office right like though if you want to get something done you go to the front office those folks get okay. it done and it affects oh, yeah. their pay too it affects their livelihood it affects the ability for our school to have adequate um social support for us to have enough school social workers to have enough um support from psychiatrists to have enough support for students to go through restorative justice practices yeah and even who people who were deemed essential workers and are cleaning our schools right like what about them what about their pay and i know like they recently like i think that sometime this week they came to an agreement for um like hourly pay for those workers but like we also rely on them right like who's going to like keep yeah. our schools clean who's going to provide lunches for our students and who's going to suffer at the end of all this their students it's, and it sucks it sucks that greed and capitalism is what like interferes in a way um, from ever truly decolonizing education and liberating education and making making schools a space where brown indigenous students of color are actually served and that that sucks um and unfortunately like that's the reality we're not going to ever truly see change we're not going to truly ever see a system that is meant to uplift and and give our black indigenous students of color the resources and the support that they truly need um and of course we can we as teachers as folks who work in the building who work directly with students we have a say and we can engage in anti-racist uh, abolitionist work we can work to reimagine the system right and, and it isn't going to be until we do that, until we remove the foundation of this country, because this country was built as a settler colonial state that has profited off of Black, Indigenous, people of color for hundreds of years. So until we do that, we're not going to be able to see true change. And it's, 
really easy to get to get I think brought down by that but it's important to to find community I think that's what I value so much about you and about some of the other folks that I work with that I'm fortunate enough to have people that I can talk to about stuff like this that I know have students best interest in mind and are truly doing the internal work as well as the work that is necessarily on the outside to impose real change. This is the work that we can do within the system, I guess. I While think also working outside of the system. Exactly, right? exactly. To make real change, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, to sum it all up, I think COVID-19 has really exposed yeah. what's systematically <laughs> wrong with education, period, the end. Period. <laughs> period. <laughs> All right, and to finish off um, our podcast for today, our episode, it is really easy to experience fatigue when doing this kind of work, when thinking about these issues, when analyzing ourselves internally, when analyzing the world around us. So it's important to, especially while we're in quarantine, it's important to have some kind of method to take care of ourselves. And so I don't know, what are some things, Esmeralda, that you've been doing while in quarantine to look after yourself, to take care of your mental health, your physical health? What What are you doing? Um, I think, first of all, disclaimer, I think it's really hard to take care of oneself. Um, but I think it's also important and how you're staying focused on maybe one thing that's positive uh, mm -hmm. about all of this. Um, and something that i've been doing that really really makes me happy is uh, making food <laughs> and baking oh my gosh. and making matcha and eating donuts and how wholesome <laughs> yeah that i don't know that just makes me happy um cooking and baking um and making drinks has always really made me happy and i think quarantine has surprisingly enough allowed me to do that allowed me to have the time to really like own in on those skills that i have um that's been really helping me just like being able to follow a recipe there's something about not thinking about the world when just baking something or cooking something and and drinking and then eating that food it's so nourishing to not just like my belly but like my heart and my mind it helps me keep like myself sane. i think that's been really really helpful and just Having my mom to talk to, too, has been really nice. Just having someone there that, like, understands me and validates me. And even when she doesn't understand what I'm talking about, at least she'll be like, Sí, mija, todo va a estar bien. Tú vas a ver, tú échale ganas. <laughs> yeah, so that's been really, yeah, that's been really nice for me. So I do think about it, how it's kind of funny how quarantine has gotten me to kind of really reflect on what I like doing um, while being at home. Yeah. What, yeah. what about you, Diana? What have you been I agree. doing? I, I feel extremely privileged to be able to stay at home and, and through like my teacher salary continue to, to just like be able to stay here, do the things that I might enjoy doing. And I've also been talking a lot more to my mom. I think that's been very nice for, for me and my mental health and I think when I went off to college, I kind of stopped 
calling home as often. My freshman year, I would call like every single day. And then as I progressed through college, I kind of stopped calling as often. And so now like I'll cook something that she might have made like growing up and I'll send her a picture or like I might bake something and send her a picture and she calls me right away. Like, mom, maybe, like, do you not think I'm maybe eating right now? Like, I sent you the picture, and I'm eating it right now. Um, but we'll talk about, like, the food that I'm making, and that's been really nice. I've also um, re-focused on making art. Um, I, I have like, seen your stuff. Like, you yeah. posting stuff of your sketches and stuff, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I used to love to draw, like, all through elementary school, middle school, high school, I was always really involved with art. Like I never really did sports. I tried to do sports once and like quit after like a month. Um, but art, like I would go to art club every single week. I loved it. I would make like big posters. And then when I got to college, I just, I didn't think I was that good. So I stopped doing it. Um, so being in quarantine, I feel extremely privileged to have been able to to re, I guess, refine myself mm -hmm. and and engage in that again. Yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I remember like when we would be in college taking classes together, and I just see you like sketching on your notebook, and I always <laughs> thought like I was like I can't freaking do that. Like they were so like neatly and like they're just good, and I just watch you like cause <laughs> I can't like you know I cannot like I cannot. For yeah. the, like to save my life I cannot like I'm not an artist and although like I have been like I bought canvases and like paint and stuff and I've been trying to yes. paint but like Minnesota because I hate cleaning brushes and I hate like okay. the mess and stuff so I'm like I just have to embrace it like if I really want to do this and I've been trying to push to. through <laughs> yeah so I admire people who, who can create stuff like I, I always have um and actually like it just made me remember that i I learned to embroider over quarantine. Yes, and like, I don't know how to do that. That is yeah. so hard. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Like, I admire people who can create so much. I've always wanted to know how to do this. And I just like sat down and I was like, I'm just gonna try it. And my mom like knows a little bit. So she's been helping me a lot. And I just finished my first piece like last week. Yay. And I felt so accomplished. I was like, oh, at least one good thing came out of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Many good things. All your baked goods, I'm sure. Oh, yes, they're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, for all of you that are listening, maybe think about one thing that if you haven't been doing something you enjoy, what is one thing that you can do? Um, even if you're pressed for time, you have responsibilities with children or um, other jobs, what is something that you can do or think about too? Uh, even if you think that thing isn't valuable enough, even if you think yes. it's silly, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's just the world trying to make you think it's not valuable. Yeah. But it is. And with that, I think, um, thank you all for listening to our second episode. Um, it's such an honor to be able to talk to you all, to talk to you, Diana, and share space with you. Um, yeah. Thank you for allowing me to share my thoughts with you and thank you to the listeners as well for allowing us to um, just sit here and conversate with you all and for listening to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much and thank you for all of your words of encouragement too. It's been so 
uplifting during this time. So thank you so much for, for anyone who's taken the time to listen to anything <laughs> we've had to say. Thank you and we really hope to hear more from you, hear more feedback, hear more things that you're maybe interested in hearing about and thanks for listening. Thank you.